scripture reading this morning is from Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, Honor to whom honor is owed. This is God's word. Thank you, Gigi. Good morning. My name is Brandon Lutz. I'm one of the pastors here of Redeemer City Church, and we're continuing our series on the book of Romans that we've been in for over a year now. We started last fall, uh, and now we, we have moved from what the gospel is in the first 11 chapters of the book how we are saved through God's gift of grace, and now we are looking at how we live out our faith. That's what, gonna, that's what this fall and the rest of Romans is going to be about. In Romans 12, we read last week on what it means to love our enemies. And, and Paul was so wise, and really what that means is, is God in his perfect wisdom started with loving our enemies, and now he has transitioned to loving our state. Another way of, re, of thinking about these, these first seven verses in chapter 13 is what does it mean to be a citizen under the civil authorities God has placed over us. So last week as we went through Romans 12, I, I was amazed at the internal struggle and pushback my heart was, was giving to me as I was hearing God's word and, and hearing what it means to love my enemies. And I, at some point my heart, my heart did eventually get there for almost all of my enemies uh, in my life. I still have work to do in my heart and the Spirit still has work to do in me. But now we're at Romans 13. And, and the topic of the role of the civil authorities over us and the role we have as citizens in the place God has put under, excuse me, put us in. And I have to be honest, like from, from the beginning here, I am very anxious to preach this text. We have never lived in a more us versus them time in regards to the government and the pol political powers in our country. The separation between Democrats and Republicans is filled with so much finger pointing and hatred. And history is filled with leaders and governments that have used their power for evil and not for the good of its people. And I got to say at the beginning, as you'll probably hear it in how I say things, you have to know that my sinful bent as I approach and as we approach this text is to be very apathetic towards government and political leaders. I really don't care enough about politics and civil authorities. And in some sense, that is good 
but it's also very sinful on my part because God has placed these authorities over me and I don't recognize them and give them respect that they deserve. So the only way to approach this topic with the respect and honor and wisdom it deserves is to preach the text, not my opinion. That's what I'm trying to do this morning. That's been my prayer all week for myself, that I would preach this text to my heart and that also this would be a challenge and hopefully mold your heart because this, this text um, is God's word just like the chapter before it and the next chapter. So if you look at your outline, you can see that I've broken down this passage into three points using the creation, fall, redemption method. First, we will begin to unpack what God's design for our government was before sin came into the world. Second, we will take a look at the way sin has corrupted our view of politics, as well as how civil authorities are broken. And then third and lastly, we'll hopefully see that, that our greater hope our greater peace, our greater king is not of this world. That's where we're going this morning. And to start off, it is extremely important at the beginning to, to recognize that Paul is not giving us a discussion of church-state relations in this passage. Instead, he is giving instruction to Christians in the mid-first century on what it means to be a citizen of the state. He is not directly addressing civil authorities or even Christian political leaders, although he knows that they'll eventually see this letter. They'll eventually see these words as he's sending this to the Church of Rome. This passage is not about getting the answers and solutions to all the specific problems the church faced back then, nor is it going to give us answers on the muddy and murky situations that we're in today. So, if you're like me, then your heart jumps to a specific event like the American pre presidency, maybe Kaepernick, the Kaepernick situation, or Democrats versus Republicans, can I ask that you please not go there in your hearts just yet? Romans 13, 1 through 7 is teaching us, reminding us to rightly understand our role as citizens that we have so easily lost in our culture and in our church. So first, let's ask the question, what is God's design for the government and civil authorities? When God designed government, how did he intend it to work? What was, what was to be the responsibility and duty of civil authority and citizens? Historically, we've seen four different methods that have been, that have been tried to handle the relationship between church and state. You have where the state has authority over the church. You have where the church has authority over the state. Then there's a, a compromise that's called Constantinianism, was made by Constantinople in the third century, which was a, a compromise in which the state favors the church, the state favors the church, and the church makes special accommodations for the state. And then fourth is called a partnership. The church and state recognize one another. There is a separation because God has given each dis distinct responsibility for them to do, but they also try to work hard together for the good of the people. John Stott says the fourth, the partnership, seems to fall in line with Paul's teaching in Romans 13, 1 through 7. So too often when we read this passage, we misread and we misuse this, the, the text to say something that it doesn't. One of the reasons we know this text is focusing on citizenship rather than civil authorities themselves is the opening verse addresses the citizen, not the civil authorities. Let every person be subject or submit to the governing authorities. Let every person submit themselves to the governing authorities. And so naturally, if you're like me, you ask the question, why? Why do I need to submit to the governing authorities? First, because it is right, 
God has established the state that he has placed us in. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Verse 1. This means that civil governments, all civil authorities, have been established by God. Therefore, deserving respect and submission because God deserves our respect and submission. You see that? All of our respect and submission to them is based out of our respect and submission to God. That is humbling to us as citizens and humbling to civil authorities. In Daniel 4, 17, we read, God rules over all human governments and gives them to anyone he wishes. Anyone he wishes. We submit to the civil authorities over us out of our loving submission to our God. The second reason for submission to civil authority is that they are established for our good. It is good for us that there is a government rather than anarchy. Verse 4, for he is God's servant for your good. He is God's servant to keep the peace. Governments are needed to hold people accountable to live in a way that makes it possible to live together. We know places and times in which anarchy had its day or when government did not control civil authority. This has been part of the struggle and reality in Mexico for some time now. Uh, Gangs control certain parts of the country, not the government. In fact, there is a known location in Mexico City where the government and civil authorities do not enter because they know that they have zero power and authority there. They are afraid of what would happen to them if they entered that place. Anarchy, chaos, fear, the complete loss of social order and peace. God in his wisdom designed government for our good so that would not happen. And third, we are to submit because it's fair. Paul seems to be indicating that governing is hard work. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servant who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. It's fair to submit to them. They do their part ruling, and we do our part submitting. It is the job of the civil authorities to create order and peace in the city, counties, state, and country. The government's authority is derived from God, and he affirms this three times in the first two verses. From God, instituted by God, God has appointed. The government is a divine institution with divine authority. All human authority is derived from God's authority. So we can say to rulers what Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Pilate, like many others, misused his authority to condemn Jesus. Nevertheless, the authority he used to do this had been delegated to him by God. And what's fascinating and insightful is just as Paul affirmed three times that the government's authority is from God, he also says three times how they must use their authority as servants. Verse 4, it describes them twice as God's servants. And in verse 6, it says the authorities are God's servants. So when you read this, there's not much difference between those who serve in government and those who serve in the church. Both derive their authority and call from God, but both are called to be servants. Just as Jesus did not come to be served, rather to serve. And a servant is not free to do whatever he or she wishes in the movie The Lion King, the young cub and son of King Simba says, King Simba says, I thought being a king meant you could do whatever you want, Dad. His father, King Mufasa, replies, There's a lot more to being a king than that, son. See, the government's functions are to promote and reward good and to restrain and punish evil, as we see in verse 4. 
Scott states that Paul gives us a very positive concept of the civil authorities. In consequence, Christians who recognize that the civil authority comes from God, we will do more than tolerate it as if it were a necessary evil. Christian citizens will submit to its authority, honor its leaders, pay its taxes, and pray for its welfare, as we read in Jeremiah 29. What's even more mind-boggling and just shaking my heart about this as we read this is that the rulers and civil leaders of this day when Paul's writing this, not only are they not Christian, but they're anti-Christian. Paul is writing this in a time when the government is extremely anti-Christian. We're not years away from when Nero is burning Christians as candles in his garden. And at this point, I find myself asking the question, how could Paul say such things and write these things under such persecution and hostility? How could he do that? I believe there are two reasons I just want to mention quickly. First, he's going back to Romans 12 and loving your enemies. He knows that he was once an enemy of God, hostile to his authority, and yet Jesus still loved him well. This response to hostile civil authorities of his day is an example of the love of Christ. And second, we have to hear this second, Paul is stating the design and ideal of the civil system instituted by God, not the reality. He is writing this letter to spur the church of Rome to be the citizen God calls them to be, but also to encourage the government to be what God intended them to be as well. Unfortunately, Paul knew this as he wrote this. Citizens and civil authority, they no longer follow the design God intended. We so easily fall prey to making too much of our government, desiring them to do things that outreach their civil authority. Or if you're like me, as I said in the beginning, we quickly, we quickly just throw up our hands in frustration. We don't engage with the government. We don't care. We disobey the civil law all the time, from small things to big things. We have far too often seen in history and witnessed today where our civil leaders have failed us. So as we move into the second point, it's easy to see that sin has done an amazing job infiltrating and using this matter, this government, politics, civil authorities of life, to to its advantage and to our detriment. So as we approach the ways we are broken when it comes to citizenship, let me ask the question, how do we make too little or despise our government? I want to start with this side because this is me. My sinful bent is to be extremely apathetic and unconcerned about government, politics, and its leaders. I've had family members and and friends for my entire life put so much time and energy and emphasis and discussion to these topics where they've put so much, it just seems like a waste of time. It's just, they've done it so much that I've just pushed myself away. I'm tired of hearing about it. I don't want to hear about it anymore. It doesn't seem like these discussions are really solving anything, so why, why bother Uh, My students and my friends tell me all the time that I have a weird taste in music. And they're right, I do. Uh, I listen to some weird stuff. Uh, I'm a little all over the place, but there's one genre of music that I will not listen to that I cannot stand, and you all are going to be really sad. Uh, Country music. I cannot listen to country music. And the reason I cannot listen to country music is because I grew up listening to it all the time when I didn't want to. It isn't that Garth Brooks, Luke Bryan, and um, I had to look these names up, uh, Jason Aldean, is that right? 
they're not talented. I had to listen to it so much as a child when I wasn't allowed to pick the music that when it was in the car playing or family store or whatever it was, that I now have this aversion and this distaste for it today. The same goes for politics and myself. But what makes civil authorities even harder for me is I've far too often seen how they have not been God's servants. Throughout all history, political powers have tried to be served rather than to serve. Pilate had the opportunity to free Jesus, an innocent man, and yet he gave in to his fear of man. We live in a country that has had laws and systems in place for centuries to favor some and hurt others. Politicians seem to be so corrupt and so captured by power that they have, they have forgotten how they're supposed to use their power. I mean, our last presidential election was crazy. I cannot tell you how many times I heard individuals say they were going to vote for the lesser of the two evils. How far lost we must be if that's how we decide who our president's going to be. And because of this, I just, I just throw up my hand and I walk away from it all. What's the point? And here's why this is wrong and sinful on my part. Walking away, being absent, and abandoning is a form of disobedience. So not only am I being disobedient to the civil authorities over me, but I am being disobedient to God who has placed these authorities over me. In Jeremiah 29, 7, God calls the Israelites to seek the peace and the prosperity and pray for the place he has called them to. The place he had called the people to then was exile in Babylon. Now, we aren't in exile yet as Christians in America. That day may come. But even then, God says to seek the peace, seek the prosperity, and pray for our country and its leaders. It is a very selfish and sinful act on my part to completely disengage and tune out the civil authorities and matters going on in our country. There are a lot more people in this city, in our county, in our country that God has called me and us all to be present and active in. You know, a wise friend who would kill me if I mentioned him by name uh, said the issue we run into, or the issue I'm running into with making too little of our political authorities is that it, it looks a lot more like faith than the other side because it's a little more quiet, it's a little more subtle. So thank you, Gio, for that uh, talking with you yesterday. But it, it is more subtle, and so it just seems a little bit more like faith, but it's not. It's just as broken and sinful as the other side. So that is what it means that we make too little or despise civil authorities God has placed over us. So what about the other side of the spectrum? How do we make too much or idolize government, civil authority, and country? And at the start of this question, many of the ways we idolize government are, are rooted in us wanting the government to be more than what God intended it to be. Our Constitution speaks to the separation of church and state, and the Bible speaks to the separate roles responsibilities of the church and state, but where we tend to make too much of our government is where we tend to start blending the roles and responsibilities of the church and state. Does that make sense? It looks more like Constantinianism than it does a partnership. This is somewhat normal in many southern churches across the Bible Belt. There's been this fusion, this compromise between the church and the state where they both favor the other and they blended their responsibilities. So for some, to be a Christian is to be an American. We have put our, our earthly citizenship on the same level as our heavenly citizenship. So 
But Lee Camp, he's a Christian author, professor, and pastor. He was asked by one of his students, what is wrong with being a patriot? What's wrong with being with patriotism? I mean, shouldn't we be proud of our country? His response, well, when you put it this way, it's like asking, shouldn't I be proud of my family? And the answer to that is, of course, yes, be proud of your family. One would hope you have a particular affection towards your family. And of course, all families like our country have certain incidents or character flaws or dysfunctions of which one is not proud. But those, th- these things, they need not lessen your love for your family. He goes on to say that, that putting the question this way misses the theological problem. It misses the heart issue that we're dealing with. Ultimately, the problem with patriotism is its very limited, divisive nature. When God gives you the gift of faith through his grace, you become part of a community that transcends all racial, all cultural, all national, geographical, and natural boundaries. So the problem we run into when we make too much of civil authorities and government is we place our national citizenship as our first marker of identity. But Paul insists that Christ comes first. Everything else must come either second or find its place underneath his lordship in some kind of way. Our ultimate identity lies in being disciples of Christ, not being disciples of Christ in America. Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free man. There is no man or woman, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. All the things that used to define us as people, including our country, no longer define us. Jesus, his blood, his righteousness, that is what defines us. That is who we are. Everything else is secondary and must be secondary at best. Lee goes on to say, uh, perhaps he's quoting Hitler. He's about to quote Hitler in a good way, which is, perhaps Hitler understood better than many Christians the allegiance Jesus required of his disciples when he declared that one is either a good Christian or a good German. It is impossible to be both at the same time. Your allegiance and identity to Jesus has to supersede all other relationships and connections. Another way we make too much of government is when we expect them to go outside their limits of what God has intended them to be. There are limits to government. Keller writes, the state both promotes and rewards the good, right behavior and right relationships, and restrains and punishes the evil, wrong behavior, wrong relationships. The state is to establish order and promote peace. That is the boundary and scope of its authority. And why this is a challenge for us now is because our country was founded on a lot of biblical principles and ideals. This is why it's so easy to blend our heavenly citizenship with our earthly citizenship in America. In modern day, we are just beginning to see and get a taste of what it's like to live in a place where Christian beliefs and ideals are no longer encouraged or make up the majority. An example of this is marriage in America. Many Christians were were outraged when the government changed the marriage laws to accommodate homosexuality. But think about this. Did God's definition and design of marriage change when this happened? So why did we get so upset? Because our identity as an American Christian has been attacked. Our American Christian comfort was being undone. Maybe even for the first time in our country's history. It's not the job of the civil authorities to promote a Christian lifestyle. It's not the job of the state to convict people of their sin and point them to the grace of the cross. 
It's not their job of the state to transform hearts. The authority of our government is a civil authority, not a spiritual authority. So where are you caught? Which side catches you? Making too much or making too little of the civil authorities and government? At the beginning of the week, I thought I would address how the civil leaders and powers have failed to serve. Uh, we actually just don't have time for that this morning. Um, and that's probably a little easier for us to even just think about and ponder. Uh, and that's really, that's not what this passage is primarily about. This passage is about what it means to be a citizen in a place God has called you. But a question we need to at least ponder for a moment is where do we as citizens fail to obey the civil authorities over us? Now, many of us uh, have not committed a major crime, at least not yet. We do have a judge in our church, so be careful. But a question we need to at least ponder for a moment is where do we as citizens fail to obey the civil authorities over us? I think I just said that. Um, What I'm more curious about here isn't necessarily big crimes for us, but it's the small ways that we disobey the government. When I drive over the speed limit, I'm disobeying the government. But what makes it even more convicting is that means that I'm not, not only am I disobeying the government, I'm disobeying God. I'm sinning by speeding. He has placed the government and the speeding laws in my life for my good. Teenagers, not a lot of you in here right now, but those are for our good. How many of you always hear, wear a seatbelt when in a vehicle? It's the law. Drinking age and laws are for our good, but when we go against them, we aren't just saying, forget you to the state, I know better. We're saying to God, forget you, God, I know better. There isn't enough time to address every small way we disobey, but hopefully that just gets your heart wondering, moving for a bit. Tim Keller writes, the country we live in is only just beginning to experience the level of hostility that first century believers faced. But we Westerners too often forget and neglect the persecuted church that experiences similar hostility, persecution, and death every day from civil authorities. So what do we do when the civil authorities over us require us to go against God's authority over us? What do we do when that day happens? And this passage doesn't seem to give us any option besides a blind obedience to civil authority, but we, we have to remember that Paul is stating the design and the ideal, not the reality of the government and politics in a broken world. Verse 7, give everyone what you owe him is an echo of what Jesus said in Matthew 22, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Paul and Jesus are both undercutting a, a common conception of the state in this era, namely that the king or the emperor had divine authority. Yes to paying taxes to Caesar is your civil authority, but no to paying Caesar worship. Caesar was not God. He was just the civil authority Also, verse 4 says, he is God's servant to do you good. And since the civil leaders are God's servant, they're responsible to operate under God's moral code, under God's moral law. In other places of the Bible, we see more clearly the answer to this dilemma. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing this all over the world, even today. Acts 5.29, Peter makes the principle clear when when told by the Jewish authorities to stop preaching about Jesus, his declarative response, we must obey God rather than man. He was announcing that if you are going to make me choose between my government and my God, then I choose my God every time. And the Bible gives us a very clear basis for civil disobedience. If the state commands what God forbids, 
or if the state forbids what God commands. Then civil disobedience is the only Christian response. But be careful here. We have to be really careful here. Keller writes, Christians are not to undermine or show disrespect for the authority, even if a government is, is foolish or silly or supports behavior disobedient to God. The Roman government of Jesus and Paul's day certainly did that. However, there are instances where brothers and sisters in Christ have courageously disobeyed and opposed civil authority when it requires behavior that is disobedient to God. Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to obey the command to worship King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 6, King Darius made a decree for everyone to pray only to himself. And Daniel immediately goes up to his room in the upper chamber by the window where everyone can see him, and he prays to God. When Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew people, excuse me, when Herod ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill the newborn boys, they refused to obey. Exodus 1 tells us the midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Now, in each case, civil disobedience involved great personal risk, including the possible loss of life. In each case, the disobedience was a demonstration of their submission to God, not the defiance of the government. It was out of their submission to God. More recently, I think of those who hid Jews in defiance of the Nazi government during World War II. I think of Martin Luther King Jr. who fought with love and compassion to help our country see that what defines a person is not the color of their skin, but the image that they were created in. And there are, any, there are many ways in which, excuse me, let me ask you all a question. Are there any ways in which you are being asked to courageously disobey an authority in order to obey God? Maybe not politically, maybe a parent or a guardian. Politically, we, we aren't there just yet, but we very well could be soon. And when that day comes, when that day comes, may the Lord grant us peace, strength, wisdom, and perseverance to stand for him in such a way that causes others, others to wonder, who is their God? Who is the God of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are gladly choosing to stay obedient to God rather than bow down to the threats of terrorism and evil? You know, as I said in the beginning, this is just such a heavy uh, topic. You can probably hear it in my voice. Uh, there's so much brokenness there's so much pain, there's so much sadness. Our government is not what it was established to be. Throughout man's history, it seems like government more often than not got it wrong. So what do we do? What do we do when it seems to be so hopeless? What do we do when, when one of the establishments that is supposed to be for our good has lost sight of what it means to be a servant of God? What do we do when we cannot trust the very powers that are supposed to protect us and be for our good? Throughout history, God's people desired a king, a political leader in power that would be for their good. And one of the reasons Jesus was so hated was because he was not going to bring down the Roman authority that so many thought the coming Messiah was going to do. You know, our problem is that we think a man or a woman or a leader or leaders of this world can give us the goodness and the prosperity and the welfare that we need. There is no government, there is no leader of this world that can usher in what we need, what we are really longing for. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring 
Everything under his control and authority will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Hebrews 13, 14, for we do not have a lasting city. Rather, we are waiting for the city that is to come. Ephesians 2.19, as we read, read in our assurance, a part reminds us that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are citizens of heaven. This world cannot give us the king and the kingdom that we so desperately long for and so desperately need. And when the king came that we needed, we killed him. We killed him. We didn't recognize him for who he is. He wasn't the king we wanted, but he was the king that we so desperately need. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he has ushered in a new age where the kingdom of heaven is now on its way. We are not home, but home is on its way. Our king is on his throne, even now. Our king is on his way. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, in your wisdom and goodness, you have told us how to live how to have civil authorities and how to be citizens on this earth. Now, whether we realize it or not, we're just like the Israelites who beg to go back under the rule and slavery of Egypt and Pharaoh, for we trust our political leaders and our government to fill promises and ideals that only you can fulfill. Father, we quickly see how, how broken the government and civil authorities are, and so we make too little of them. So Father, wherever we are, and maybe, maybe depending on the issue or the leader, we go back and forth on the spectrum. But wherever we are, forgive us, we pray. We have made too little or too much of civil authority. Father, would you renew our government and our political leaders' minds and hearts that they would recognize their roles as your servants. But whether that day comes or not, may we always submit to the authority of our true King and Lord Jesus. For he is the only authority whose rule is perfect his rule is good, it's just and true. For he was the authority who became our servant, even to his own death and separation from you. Father, give us courage for the days ahead. Father, give our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted by their government and their leaders, give them a sense of peace that can only come from you. Be with them. May they feel your presence during this time more than ever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As Christians, we have a, a peace that is not of this world. And it's a peace that cannot be taken from us, it cannot be shaken or moved in any kind of way. So as we, as we go out into um, just our culture, our society, and just our world, who's just the powers are hostile to him, hostile to our king. And the, the, the unrest and the, the not peace that they create cannot destroy the peace that we have in him. So as we go out, as we seek to be uh, faithful citizens of heaven, and we go out with his blessing over us. So please receive the Lord's blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn, turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.